All right, entrepreneurs, small business owners, side hustlers everywhere. Welcome to the Seven Figures Club podcast. Today's guest, everybody, is Tammy Alvarez. Tammy is the CEO and founder of Career Winner Circle. It's a comprehensive collection of coaching and training programs designed to strengthen leaders to grow their careers quickly and sustainably. Her spirited break all the rules, oh, I just love that as a rule breaker, break all the rules approach blends decades of C-suite experience on Wall Street with a pragmatic results-based coaching style. She helps business professionals like you create impact so that you can love every morning again, that Monday morning that is. She's also an inspirational coach, trainer, and epic storyteller who delivers transformative learning experiences for her global client base. She believes the heart of every successful business is leaders who inspire our courage. Tammy, welcome to the show. There are over 32 million businesses in the U.S. and over 90% of them will never break seven figures in annual sales. So how do we as entrepreneurs or aspiring entrepreneurs break into that seven figures club? This podcast will relentlessly share the secrets, strategies, and tactics I've used to create three multi-seven figures businesses and bring in even more successful entrepreneurs than me to share their inspirational stories and tactics to success. You can create your dream business in life right now. So buckle up and let's go. Thank you, Lee. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for uh, making the time today. This is great. Well, we're excited to, to have you on and you are a global traveler. You've uh, got amazing experiences in terms of working on Wall Street. And I would say for the majority of the audience, uh, you know, a lot of people who are looking to take their careers to the next level, maybe they're small business owners, but I think there's a curiosity. What was it like, you know, working in Wall Street? What were some of the experiences that led to, you know, success within your early career? And then we'll talk a little bit about how you, you know, eventually went independent. Now you, you know, run your own organization and you help others grow their businesses and career. But tell us a little bit about what was it like working on Wall Street? What did you do? And what was that schedule and those crazy high pressure hours like? Yeah, it's uh, probably all the craziness that you see on TV, movies, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, but I had grown up on Wall Street and in and around Wall Street. And so yeah. at a very young age in my career, it was just what I knew. And I continued to get promoted, continued to have more responsibility. And I became ultimately known as a transformation expert. And so during times of crisis, during times of disruption, you know, when things were just massive change, that was my jam. I was an adrenaline junkie. And so when people were running out of a burning building, me and my team were running in and I loved it. And it served me. And at some point in time, I was running about 2000 people, 35 countries, solving big problems because in the financial services, there's always something going wrong. So I was never oh, yeah. bored and I just continued to grow and ultimately became a C-level executive, um, you know, within some of the, the biggest companies that we, we have in the country today. Um, and I was in my sweet spot. I had this super fancy apartment in Manhattan, the corner office, all the things, the fancy shoes, the big, you know, all the things. And I love, you know, it was great. And I remember um, we got our clocks cleaned during an investor call, right? It was quarterly earnings. We just completely, you know, I won't swear, but it was a hot mess. And, you know, it was just, we got our butts handed to us from the board. It was disaster. And I'm like, you know what? I don't like this anymore. I'm like, I'm not having any fun. And within six months, I had cashed out of Wall Street. Um, moved to a tropical island in Central America off the coast of Belize and started a coaching business. 
And it was perfect timing for me because my daughter had grad- was graduating college. So she was off the payroll, my big fancy apartment, you know, the lease was coming due so I could get out of that. I sold all my fancy stuff and traded in for flip-flops and decided, okay, I'm going to start this coaching business. Um, but that was only after I went scuba diving in the morning, right? So oh, I absolutely. was really, really enjoying that the, the flip. And so that's really how I started this business is just the, the career that had served me for so long and that I just loved and thrived on and really kind of defined myself and, and like who I was as a person to a large extent um, became soul crushing. And like every Monday, I was like, you've got to be kidding me. I cannot possibly sit through another stupid meeting, any more dumb emails, all that stuff. And so when I realized that this was no longer, and and even moving companies would not help. It was just same crap, different acronym, right? And so I'm like, it's time for a massive change. And so that's what I did. And that's how we're here today. Wow. Beautiful, phenomenal story. First off, I think the thing that caught my attention is, you know, is an entrepreneur with a few dozen employees here and and uh, and maybe at some point growing to a hundred, but how in the world are you managing two thousand people? What With is that like? Leadership is key to success in so many avenues. Whether it's becoming a leader at a company, a C level suite, uh, you know, executive, or just becoming a small business owner, entrepreneur with a few dozen employees, how are you successfully managing two thousand people and getting them on the same page to move forward? Yeah, and I'm not. Okay. And see, this is the key. So how how does one do this? I'm successfully managing six, right? Who Ah, are each managing six, who are each managing six, who are managing, you know, a dozen, right? And so fortunately, I have a very um, untraditional upbringing in that I never went to college. Like I didn't get my degree until I was 40. So I was one of the youngest managing directors the only female in the room. And I never college degree. I grew up in a small town in New Jersey. You know, my parents didn't have a lot of money and it was just, I didn't have the motivation. I was terrible in school. And so I'm like, you know, I'm just going to work for a couple of years and then I'll go to college was my plan. But then I kept getting promoted, kept having fun, got married, had my kid. I'm like, eh, whatever. And so the way I continued to grow my career was very unusual in that, you know, I had great mentors early in my career that saw more in me than I did because I always had imposter syndrome. I was like this 19-year-old, you know, who didn't know anything but was willing to do anything. And so I kept getting put in positions where I was over my skis. And I kept mostly winning with a lot of failures as well. But I had those really good mentors that really helped me continue to grow. So I kind of developed this fearless mentality that I didn't realize no one else had. And so I am used to not being the smartest person in the room. I am used to feeling like I don't belong here. I'm like, it's only a matter of time before people figure it out. And I'm used to being very comfortable surrounding myself with people who are so much smarter than me and that fill in all the gaps that I don't have, that that is really how I develop my leadership skills early And then that has continued to serve me. So being able to lead a large team like that is very difficult, especially when you're talking global, you know, multicultural, all the things that, you know, that, that go along with that in terms of complexity and the rate of change, right? It was moving fast all the time, but as long as you really had those people around you that you trusted and that you knew were just top of their game, then everything else just kind of took care of itself. Amazing. Guys, let's let's kind of break this down, unpack it a little bit. So the first thing she said is, hey, when you have 2,000 people to manage, 
You don't manage 2,000. You actually manage six who manage six who manage six who manage 12. And so basically, she's dealing with managers who are, you know, are managing bigger teams and then mid-level managers and then all the way down to where you've got uh, the, the, the teams that are on the smallest levels. So basically, it's having leaders that you are molding and holding accountable. That's what she's doing. So that was number one. Number two, she said mentors. Guys, we talk about this all the time. If you want to join the Seven Figures Club, if you want to create success in your life, trying to reinvent the wheel is not the way to do it, but learning from those mentors who have already been down the path, have a roadmap to success and can mentor and lead and guide you to success. Someone probably helped them. They enjoy doing it. Finding people like that is key. And then understanding that if you want to be successful, you need to build a great team. And that doesn't mean you're the smartest person in the world in the, in the room. It means you have other amazing people who are wonderful what they do and bring something to the table that you don't know how to do. And then you as the leader bring that all together. So three amazing you know, value bombs that Tammy just shared for you. And so then at some point, and this happens to a lot of very successful people in their career, and maybe some are listening right now, you sort of hit that wall and you're like, Sunday evening, you're feeling anxious, you're not excited for Monday morning, you're not passionate about it, it's soul crushing. At what point should somebody consider you know, breaking off and doing their own thing? What was that decision process for you where you said, screw it, I'm done? What was, yeah. what were those deciding factors? Yes, you had the lease. Yes. You know, your daughter's graduating, but ultimately there was maybe a few other things that were kind of the, the big decision-making, uh, you know, uh, things that came up that someone should be thinking about that might be in your same position right now. Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, I think there's a few different schools in thought, of thought of this. So I'll just share where my head was at when I did this. Um, Cause we also advise a lot of career changers who are thinking yes. about doing this. And, you know, they're used to the big fat paychecks and all the houses and all the toys and all the things. Yeah. Right. And eventually everyone gets to a point where they're like, this is enough. And uh, and so when you get to the point where you've got that in your stomach, it's, you know, act now. You may not move into an entrepreneurial role immediately, but you need to change it fast. And so, so many people sit in this space thinking it's normal, thinking no one else really loves their job anyway, or thinking I can't take the risk of being an entrepreneur and they stay stuck. And the higher achievers have the hardest time making this change because they're not used to being stuck, right? They're used to things working out. So they haven't built those muscles necessarily. Um, but what really, quite frankly, worked for me in terms of an entrepreneur is I felt there was nothing left for me to learn in the industry I was in. I had seen it all, right? I had seen the financial crisis. I had seen 9-11. I had seen all kinds of crazy things. I'm like, you know, there's really nothing else you could throw at me that I haven't actually had to seen and lead through. And I'm a voracious learner, right? And so I needed to do something that just got me fired up I mean, a little nervous and like put me back on my like, oh, okay, I'm back to not knowing what I'm doing again. This is good. Cause for me, that's my comfort zone is being uncomfortable. And so the, the thing that made it easier for me though, quite frankly, is that, you know, my financial situation was strong. And, you know, I think if I had to keep the very expensive price ticket of living in Manhattan with all the fancy things in a less than desirable financial situation, then I might have hedged a bit instead of going all in like I did. Um, I might have dual tracked for a little while. I might have taken a different strategy. 
Um, but because I knew I was moving to, you know, Belize, right, a nice inexpensive place to live, and I had a bit of a cushion and a strong foundational background in terms of debt and stuff like that, like I felt like, okay, um, I think I can do this. But the other thing I did, and this is what I do to make sure that I'm okay taking risks, is I lay out the worst case scenario. Mm. And if the worst case scenario is something I can live with, which for me was that everything went to, you know, went to pot and I ended up sleeping on my mom's couch, figuring out my next plan. I'm like, can you do that? And I was like, yep. (laughs) And now we can't all say that, right? We have seasonality in our lives and our careers, but I was at a point in time where I'm like, yeah, I'm, this is worth it. Like if I have to end up on my mom's couch a year from now, or, you know, this is worth it. And so then I was just able to go completely all in. People thought I was out of my mind. It's like, you are leaving like the pinnacle of what people aspire to. And you're just walking away. Um, And for me, it was just like, no, this is, you know, this is not quitting. This is not giving up. This is taking one of the biggest risks I've ever taken in my life. No question. So when you're at that uh, fork in the road and you're deciding which direction to go, maybe it's a career change, maybe it's a different industry or maybe it's what we're talking about where you're going to start your own business and and be the boss, be an entrepreneur, et cetera, et cetera. What are some of the things you need to take into account as you as as you make that decision? And how did you know you made the right choice? Um, the way you take it into account, whether you're moving into a different career or whether you're deciding, you know, entrepreneur, and this is something that not enough people do, is you need to put yourself first. What are the things that you are going to do that are going to light you up? Because whatever they are and however you apply those talents, you are going to succeed beyond anything you could possibly imagine. And so instead of trying to figure out, okay, where am I needed? Where can I make the most money? What's the easiest thing to do? What's the most logical thing to do? Really focus on if I had to do something for 12 hours a day and not get tired, what would that look and feel like? And then go find that, right? So that's what we have a lot of our customers do in, in, in figuring that out. Now, for me, I was done with corporate. There was no more lipstick you could put on that pig. It was over. And so I knew that I just had to really get into an entrepreneurial space, but I never wanted to be an entrepreneur. I was like, I don't think I'm passionate enough about anything. You know, you hear all these super entrepreneurs that have this dream or this vision or all these things. I'm like, I don't have any of that. Um, and so I made, you know, all, I think all the mistakes that a lot of entrepreneurs make in that I had this great idea. I knew it was desperately needed and I built it and no one bought it. And I was like, oh, well, <laughs> this is different. And so, cause what I had done is because my, my background was transformation expert and I knew how much people suck at change in terms of leadership. I'm like, I'm going to build a transformational leadership program. Everyone needs it. This is going to be great. However, what I also told myself is that I am not selling B2B in my business. And the reason I did that, and I I promised myself I wouldn't sell B2B for three years. I was going to go business to consumer only. And the reason I did that is because I knew I was still addicted to the work. And I'm like, if I go back and sell into the companies I just left, I'm going to get sucked right back into the things I love doing and back into the just soul crushing grind. And so I'm like, nope, we're doing B2C only. So the problem with my strategy was I didn't talk to anyone. And I built a product that people would not self-fund because individual leaders didn't find that as a problem that they would be willing to pay for. If I'd gone B2B, it might have been a different story, but I didn't. And so I realized after six months of blowing through money and time that this was obviously not a great strategy. And so I hired an expert to kind of help me think through what do I do? 
And then that's when I started to actually ask people, what do you need? (laughs) And what are you willing to pay for most importantly? And then starting to build things that they needed, which really moved us into that career change strategy things. I'd made such a massive pivot several times in my career. People wanted to know how to do that for themselves too. Amazing. And so a lot of people do make a mistake when they're going to become an entrepreneur business owner. They think, oh, this is a great product. This is a great service. And they just kind of jump in with it which is what you did and what a lot of us do. And then at some point you did the really smart thing was, why don't I just ask people what they want and what they're willing to pay for? And that creates a product where there's a need in the marketplace. And then after you find out what the customer client needs, now you can actually go ahead and create that product. And so what was that product? What was the product that you found out or service that, oh, this is what people really need that you're like, ah, this is it. And then you started to build it. What was that? Yeah. And it was, you know, and it was, and I think that's the important question, Leo, is what are you willing to pay for? Right. People have Uh, a lot of problems that they'll talk to you about, but it's like, what are you actually willing to write a check to fix? Right. What hurts so bad that you'll pay me money to do this. And it was really about that career change. And so while we service, you know, entrepreneurs and helping them on their journey and leaders, um, the company started, our foundation really started with helping mid to senior level leaders pivot out of soul-crushing jobs that they couldn't stand anymore without having to sell everything and live in a yurt, right? Because they can't do that. They don't want to do that. You don't want to take a step back in money or in influence or in impact. And if you do it wrong, those are the things that happen. So the fears are very well-founded. And believe it or not, once I finally listened, and I didn't know, because I had made, you know, 11 different role changes in my career, everything from sales to audit and everything in between, you know, five different industries, but this came naturally to me. I get bored, so I change. And so I didn't realize that this was kind of a unique thing. So I did, what did I do? Like, how did I do this so effortlessly? And I'm not kidding. It took me two days to build my signature program. And it still stands today because it's just so instinctive and it's so mind blowing for our customers to kind of come in, see a totally different perspective. And then on average, we've had over 150, almost 200 people come through the program at this point, 95% of them are in a new role within four to five months and they're making 20% more Mm -hmm. and they're very high earners. So those are big numbers. And so being able to do that, and that's where I got my excitement from. It's like, you get to say not good enough for me anymore. And you get to decide what is and make that happen for yourself. And I'm not airy fairy. I'm not a life coach, not all that stuff, right? I'll give you a kick in the butt probably before I'll give you a hug. But the impact of the whole life when your career is right is massive. Everything gets better. And so that's really where I started to get tons of energy and and really fell in love with, with what we were doing. And so a big part of that is is actually pivoting to a different industry. Is that right? Is that kind of a big part of the decision-making process? Um, what people will typically do um, yeah. is one of two things. The most common is either staying in your same role, moving into a different industry. Okay. Right. Or, you know, um, staying in the same industry and getting a different role. Yeah. Right. So that way, and what we encourage people to do and whether you're most likely to make a pivot, either where you're starting your own business or whether you're moving from, you know, one corporate job to another is staying within that ecosystem. So if you think about who your vendors are, who your suppliers are, you know, what the other industries up and downstream are, they're kind of like cousins that you see for Thanksgiving. 
right? You don't talk to them every day, but you know the same people and you have the same jokes and that kind of stuff. So if you stay in that ecosystem, that's usually where you're able to make that 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 biggest jump. But what two big things that that change everything, and I think this applies to entrepreneurs as well, is when you make a pivot to being paid for what you do, to being paid for what you know, you make significantly more. Let me say that again. So when you make the shift of being paid for what you do to getting paid for what you know, you make significantly more. So it's one thing to think about because you always think about what can I do? What are my skills versus what lessons have I learned that are going to help the people move faster and not make the same mistakes because there's always somebody that's behind where you've been. The second thing is you need to find places where you're in high demand and in short supply. And there's always that out there too. And so that's one of the biggest things we help our customers do is make that transition in terms of mindset and how you're showing up. And then also finding the right places in the market where you are like gold in terms of the things that you have to offer because it's not organic within a particular industry. And so how do you know if you've accumulated that valuable information that is so valuable that people would pay for because it's going to accelerate growth in the company? How can you like throughout the process as you're going through your career know that, oh, these are the things that I should be learning because they're going to be valuable? Is that just something that just happens through time by just, you know, working hard and having mentors and and uh, and trying to progress through an organization, or or how do you know that you're actually learning things that are that valuable? Because, like you said, if you're thinking about just what you do, and then all of a sudden someone realizes, wow, you know this, this, and this, and this, that's extremely valuable. People would pay a lot for that. If uh, if you pivot to that, you're going to do much better. How do you know that you're learning those types of valuable, you know, things that are more valuable than what you do? Right, and so um, everything is valuable. It's just a question of how you want to look at it and where you want to apply that or where you can apply that. So we call this your it factor. And it's a unique combination of your skills, experiences, and perspectives. And when we put these things together, along with all the things that light you up, this it factor suddenly becomes something that makes you better than your competition, not just different. And so the way that the market and business has, you know, experienced and will continue to experience extreme volatility, right? I mean, in, in the midst of chaos is opportunity for everyone. And so when people are hiding under their desks, hoping not to get fired, that is the time to surge. And the same thing when you're trying to figure out how do you become in high demand? So I'll give you a really good example. You could be chugging along, you know, in an organization that is used to downsizing 20% every year. Right. I mean, this is just business as usual for most companies, right? It's like, all right, it's the annual layoff season. Half of them are going to get hired back in February. Round and round we go. And you don't even know that you're learning anything, right? You just think this is how it is and this is how you do things. However, there are organizations and industries out there that have been in hyper growth mode forever. And they only know how to solve problems by throwing more money and more people at it. And now that they're compressing, the tech industry comes to mind, right? They've got to learn to do more with less. They have to learn to grow with less money and less people. They have to learn to standardize instead of having individual, you know, custom built solutions for everyone. Now, you didn't even know you were learning that in your environment. However, because this is what you know, and because it's not organic to a company that's been in hyper growth, you are like gold. Because you can come in and the things that you just instinctively know are not available and in high demand. 
And so that, you know, so, so trying to calculate where's the market going to be, what should I learn? You know, you should pay attention to where things are going, but I don't think anybody has a crystal ball. But when you realize that I do have skills that I accidentally picked up, right, along the way, and there are so many other places out there that don't have it and need it desperately, then when you know how to position yourself to those organizations as a vendor, you know, or as an employee, then the whole world changes in terms of your marketability. I think that's a really powerful case study you just made. So if you had worked at some organization, corporate America, where you were really good at, hey, downsizing is going to happen. How can we become more effective, more efficient instead of massive marketing campaigns? What if we had strategic partnerships where we generated more customers and clients that way? And you take that skill set and all of a sudden the tech industry is being massively disrupted uh, there's layoffs, uh, all sorts of issues uh, where they realize they overhired with sales teams and all these other uh, positions. And so you could come in there and be seen as so, so valuable because, you know, like you said, they're so used to, oh, let's just throw a crap ton of money at it, hire a lot of people, spend yes. a lot of money. It's okay if we bleed money, we'll just hopefully have an IPO at some point. And now that system is not working. So there is a big need with those types of technology companies right now. And, and these types of things are always happening in different industries. And so now I'm seeing you guys are probably getting an idea of, hey, if you were in X industry and you see this opportunity over here, what you learned in there might be completely foreign to the this other industry. And if you implemented the same skills and things you learned that were just commonplace in that, in this other industry, that's where you would be extremely valuable and be able to do something that would light you up and also increase your your, your overall uh, income, which is obviously part of the game as well. Yeah. Now, one of the things you also talk about, Tammy, is counterintuitive thinking when it comes to making these decisions and building a business or transforming your career. What are some of those uh, ideas, case studies of counterintuitive thinking that we should start to realize is actually going to be more successful thinking? Yeah. And so let's you know dive in on our business owners, right? In terms of one of the things that no one, I was like, you're going to be out of your mind with this. And it's- Here we go. <laughs> Drum roll, please, right? And so during times of economic downturn, crisis, uncertainty, it's actually the best time to raise your rates. And I know that sounds crazy, but when you do that, you are able, because you're, you're I know, I'm the queen of pricing anxiety, right? So when I started, I just laugh at my initial pricing when I got started, um, because I think everybody has pricing anxiety. And when things get bad, you immediately think, oh, things are bad. I got to tuck in. I got a discount. I got to do these things. But the reality is, and I've seen this in several instances with my business, that when you raise your rates, you're busy. It's not just your revenue that increases, the number of customers that you get increase. Because what you do is you start to set yourself apart as, hang on a second, this isn't a will work for food company. This is a winning company, right? If they have the stones to be able to do that and raise their rates, then they must know a secret that I don't know. And they know that, okay, I'm going to pay more, but I'm also going to get what I want. Instead of, you know, discounting sends all kinds of messages to your clients about quality, about reliability, about, you know, branding and all that kind of fun stuff. So, um, you know, so if you're thinking with all the doom and gloom and all that kind of fun stuff in terms of how that works, then I would encourage you, um, you know, to rethink your pricing structure. And if you're trading time for money, stop. 
right? Because that's the most difficult way to do what I'm talking about. But when you take the services that you offer or the products that you offer and you move it into more of a package solution that gives the customer more flexibility and more of what they want in terms of access to you or access to your products, then all of a sudden the value is there without with very little, if no additional investment on your part in terms of taking away the operating margin. Huge point, big value bomb, everybody. You need to identify who are your dream customers and clients that you want to work with who are willing to spend more, invest more, and are going to get better results versus you just trying to work with everybody. That's definitely the importance and why we always say the riches are in the niches. And the more focused you are on who you want to serve, you're actually going to be a lot happier at the end of the day because all those, a lot of the problem clients that take up a significant amount of your time are the ones that uh, it's always being nickel and dimed on pricing. There's always an issue here and there. And if you had just charged twice as much, you would have attracted a higher quality client who would have gotten better results. And so that's, that's I think, a powerful value bomb that if you haven't come to that realization yet, it's something that you should and it's all about delivering more value so that you can charge more. And those are those are formulas for success and roadmaps for success. Uh, Tammy, I'm curious what your thoughts are. Like you said, a lot of disruption, a lot of change. You got very used to it going from different industries and uh, climbing the corporate ladder all the way to the sea level. I'm curious, what are your thoughts and how should people be getting ahead of the AI challenge that is here and is only going to accelerate. Yeah. Oh, AI is all the thing, right? It's like, okay, white collar jobs are gone. You know, the knowledge worker is dead, all these things. Right. And, uh, and it's really, we're here. <laughs> it's just, it's fascinating. Um, and you know, so I'm, I'm just as fascinated by where this is all going. I think as, as everyone else is, um, humans are still going to be the same. I don't care how much AI there is. The human need, you know, the relationships, the value, the self-serving nature of the consumer, all of those things are going to be the same. And so it's much like when everyone, it's interesting because, you know, everybody's going back to flip phones now, right? The, new, the next generation is going back to flip phones and all these big marketing funnels and all of this magic, you know, online clients magically spend millions of dollars with you has come back down to, oh, I actually have to talk to people and build relationships. And so where AI will disrupt are the commodity and repetitive tasks that don't make you money. And so it's less of a disruption and more of an aid. But at the end of the day, I think, you know, my personal opinion is that human beings are not, you know, until you're selling to robots, then you need humans to sell to humans and leverage the AI in terms of being able to help move your business faster, but don't be lazy about it. And, uh, you know, so I'll give, you know, I was watching a, a YouTube uh, thing on this and I forget who it is. So I apologize. I can't credit who it is, but they made the analogy that's very much like the ATMs and the banks, right? You go in, you, you used to go to the bank and get money out and talk to a teller and get your money and move on with your day. But when you move to ATMs, the banks didn't close. They just leveled up their game. You went in for higher level service. So you didn't have to perform all of those routine you know, tasks that people just want to be fast and on demand. And so I think that's the same way. Um, I don't think it's going to you know, take anything away. I think it's going to prevent opportunities to increase the level of play. 
and take out the stuff that doesn't move your business forward. And that's more commodity driven in terms of repetitive tasks and things like that. So, you know, that's, that's my um, personal opinion on, you know, where AI is going and how that's going to impact us as business owners. Yeah, no questions. All of the high skill human skills that you need to succeed, those are, are not going to be replaced uh, necessarily with AI, but a lot of the more repetitive mm -hmm. manual stuff will be automated. That will be replaceable. But you know what's interesting? It kind of reminds me uh, of that movie, Hidden Figures. You see that movie where you had these uh, uh, these three African-American la ladies who became awesome uh, at helping uh, the first uh, spaceship go to the moon. And one of them, and this was all based on a true story, she learned how to use the IBM 7090 computer that was going to replace all these human jobs. And because she learned how to use the damn thing, she got promoted and other people got fired because she learned how to use the technology. And so again, like any technology out there, if you learn to use it and use it well, well, now you have a skill set that's going to separate you from everyone else because most people don't learn how, how to work it. And so the sooner you start jumping on Google's Bard and ChatGPT 3.5 and 4 and learning all the different ways that you can utilize it in your own job and in different ways within the company to be more effective, efficient, and productive, well, now you just made yourself three times more valuable because 80% of the rest of those out there didn't learn anything about it. They just said, oh, I can't control anything. I can't do anything about it. So I think that's a great example of how you can take a technology that's going to disrupt. And the more you learn about it and accept it, the greater your odds are for having a positive outcome. And so if you're listening, learn how AI is working in your field and you'll be surprised at how much more productive you'll be and how much more valuable you'll be throughout that process. Well, Tammy, at this point, a lot of people are thinking, wow, I've learned a lot about uh, how to grow within a career, how counterintuitive thinking is uh, impactful, how understanding that you don't have to stay stuck in a job or an in industry you don't love, that there are opportunities and skill sets you don't even know you have. More valuable than the doing is what you actually know that you don't even know you know. And they're thinking, so how can I figure these things out? Because a lot of it is just having someone who's that, uh, you know, like Mr. Miyagi and Karate Kid, who's already been down in the road, knows how to succeed. And that's what you've done. How can people connect with you and figure out what their step is so that they don't have these Sunday evening blues and get excited and passionate and in the right position. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for that. Um, so you can definitely hit me up on LinkedIn, right? Tammy Alvarez or our company page, Career Winner Circle on LinkedIn. Um, and then you're also, if you hit careerwinnercircle.com and you hit the button to say, talk to a coach, you'll be able to get right into one of our coaches and you'll also get you to me. Um, if you need to. So we've got lots of support out there, both for entrepreneurs trying to grow their business and figure out where to pivot to in terms of being adjusting to the market and people who are trying to figure out what's my next move and, and how do I continue to thrive where I'm at. Again, guys, not a passive podcast. This is a podcast for action takers. So go to careerwinnerscircle.com. There's literally an awesome button on the front page. It just says, talk to a coach. You click the button and you can automatically connect up with one of Tammy's coaches so that you can begin this process. 
of building the career and life that you want, of being excited on a Sunday evening that you're going in to do something that you're passionate about, that excites you, and that financially compensates you even better than where you're at, whether you're trying to progress in your career or whether you're a small business owner trying to deal with the many changes that are coming to the marketplace, not the least of which of these is AI. So go to careerwinnerscircle.com and take action and learn more about what you can do to control the outcomes you want and the life that you want to have. Tammy, really appreciate all the value you've brought to the community today, but the final word is yours, Tammy. What is what is something that somebody can do in terms of taking action today to get back on track if they're going through some adversity and some uncertainty right now? Um, One small thing, whatever that is. And so many times we wait for the, you know, I don't know how many people wait for confidence. I'm like, no, confidence comes from taking one small action, Oh yes. you know, or wait for passion. It's like, no, you've got to go for your passion or wait for purpose to hit them in the head. It's like, nope, you really have to identify that. So, but it doesn't have to be hard. Take one step. And then that'll lead you to another step. But you got to take that first step. Very good. There's usually three kinds of people out there. One person does nothing. One person takes a step back. And if you just take that step forward, you'll be in the minority who are finding solutions instead of the high, high majority that makes problems or finds them. You want to yeah. be a solution provider. Tammy, thank you so much for being Thanks, a guest on the podcast. It. It's been so much fun. Thanks for having me. Are you looking for more seven-figure secrets, content, or even how you can launch your own recession-proof business? Then check out sevenfigures.com. That's the digit seven, F-I-G-U-R-E-S.com, where we share more videos, stories, strategies, funding solutions, entrepreneurial education, and even the secret business type that's recession-proof. Thank you for listening, and if you're finding value in our podcast, please give us a five-star and invite others to join the club.